0: How's everyone doing? How, how was your Thanksgiving? All right. Good. Sure, there, there's an awful lot going on with uh, just all the holidays kind of crammed together and the expectations and the travel and uh, just uh, traditions and all of, these, all of these things together. We can certainly lose ourselves in, in the midst of, of what's going on. Uh, We're continuing our series on the book of John, uh, looking at the life of Christ, but looking more importantly what it means that he has life in himself and how he offers that to us, how we partake beyond what we've experienced in life, what we've settled for so far. My name is Bill Osgood. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Bethel Christian Church and also want to thank you on behalf of uh, you know all of us here. Got a lot of people traveling, but, but we, have, we have an exchange program going on with others visiting family. so glad that you could join us. Um, Thanksgiving is an interesting time because it is the day set aside, uh, I believe Lincoln era set it aside, that this would be the day that we stop all activity that we take time to reflect on the blessings in our life on the way on the many reasons that we have to be grateful to spend time with those who are most important to us to spend time enjoying a food and and just just really marking this as a celebration because this is what's so important And then we rush through the meal and we clean everything up so we can get out to Black Friday. Because we give thanks for what we have just before we rush out to get more stuff that we don't need. Um, Now, there's nothing wrong with shopping. There's nothing wrong with Black Friday. There's nothing wrong with the adventure. And some people are like, you know, commando and elbows and walkie-talkies and, and, you know, Christmas shopping, whatever. I'm not taking issue with any of that. But I am taking issue with the fact that what our society, and we're all part of it, has identified is it's the appetite where the money is. And that's what we're going to cater to. It's not the actual need. The need for communion, the need for fellowship, the need for reflection, the need for gratitude. Those, those are needs. That, that's Thanksgiving. That's great. But where, where the money is, it's appetite. And none of those things are sexy. Ah, uh, reflection, time, space, all of that. And so it's the next thing, the immediate, and we got to jazz this up. So all the emphasis is on Black Friday and dealing with the immediate appetite. This is what you think you need right now. Let's see if we can go back a bit. In the, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we have the wrong, if we could get uh, part two up, if that's okay. I believe we have part one right here. Yeah, if we get part two up, that'd be sweet. Okay. Um, now, have some, maybe have some pictures up later with, uh, with Black Friday, but uh, let, me, let me use this time to jump us up to speed. Now, last week I mentioned that John chapter 6 is huge. I, I mean, we've got like 67-ish verses dealing with a very, very difficult teaching. But at the same time, it's the one teaching that all four gospel writers decided this is so important, so big, so Jesus-y, we gotta put it in there. There's two miracles that are included in every single gospel. It's the resurrection, and the other one is the feeding of the five thousand. And and so on on, at first blush, we could think, wow, this proves Jesus is God. There's there's this huge need, all these witnesses. What are we gonna do? There's hardly any resources. Hocus, pocus, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat and all this extra bread, and it's a party. And everyone's like, wow, it's a miracle. This proves that Jesus is God and everything he says is true. And that's why the story is in every single gospel, right? Mm -mm. Because as we looked at a little bit last week and to help us understand where Jesus really wanted us to arrive, we need to understand that it wasn't the, the miracle and that's why it was included. It was the lesson that wasn't caught and that's why it's in all four Gospels. All the writers, in hindsight, said, we didn't get it. We did. We beheld with our hands, with our eyes, we saw the glory. We were there with Jesus, and we didn't know what we had when we had it. But Jesus was patient. He was gracious. He kept coming back. He kept leading us. So this sense of, man, how could we miss this, was so big and such as a, a, a whole they had to include it because in all the teaching and all the times in the gospel we have the feeding of the 5,000 we also have immediately it's connected to the walking on the water and Mark tells us they didn't. They freaked out when they saw Jesus on the water. See, we had this miracle where he feeds 5,000 people. And then all the people go away. The disciples row across the lake. They're fishermen. They're seasoned, seasoned maritime. You know, they're on the water. Not, not a problem. For six hours, they're straining in this horrible storm. They're starting to freak out. Jesus walks across the water. And they, they go nuts. They, they, they panic like he's a ghost. They're in awe of him. They can't speak. They worship him. But all those rest- responses are wrong because they're not they didn't get the lesson of the bread it said it mark tells us their hearts were hardened they didn't understand the lesson of the feeding of the five thousand. that's why they couldn't apprehend jesus and so jesus gets in the boat and he says guys what what was yesterday the whole day what was it it was me revealing myself to you you see, when Jesus was walking by him, it said he was about to pass them by. That was the same word as God passing Moses by revealing his inner nature. So Jesus was about to reveal himself in intimacy and all they could think about was my next need. So in the first lesson, they didn't, the people didn't have something they needed in their life. I don't have food. I need food. That is my my next need. And Jesus met met them. Wow, great. Jesus meets my needs. And this is where we're going to pick up the trail. In In the walking on the water and the storm on the sea, there was something negative in their life. They wanted out. See, before it was something positive they wanted in. I want this bread. I don't have it. Now there's a storm. I'm going to die. I'm scared. I want this out of my life. And in both circumstances, they could only see Jesus as, why haven't you fixed this? Or you're God only if you perform according to my expectations. If you meet my needs, you get this out of my life now, or you bring this into my life now, then I can trust you. Then you're God on my terms. Then I'll follow you. And Jesus is going, guys. None of this is what the lesson was about. See, Jesus had been revealing himself to the disciples in intimacy all along. He'd been revealing himself to the crowd with teaching about heaven and true life and true forgiveness and, and the most important things. And all they could hear were their stomachs grumbling. And so they didn't get the lesson because they couldn't separate appetites. Ah, oh, Here we go. Black Friday looking, looking violent. All right. So, how many people spent their time um, Thursday night doing this—the doorbusters? Just you and eight thousand of your closest friends. I guess not everyone was shopping. Let's go into the text. Eating Jesus. In a nutshell, if you remember nothing else, you've heard it your entire life growing up. It's absolutely true. We are what we eat. Spiritually as well as physically, we are what we eat. And this is the lesson that Jesus is getting to beyond that. Okay, let's look at the text. So John chapter 6, verse 26, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Otherwise, we got it up here. Jesus answered. Okay, so all the people had been fed. They'd all dispersed. Disciples rode across the lake. Jesus walked across the lake. They didn't get either lesson of the revelation. They're at the other side. All the people said, where's Jesus? They run around the lake, and they all converge on Jesus again. And this is where we pick it up. Very truly, I tell y'all, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Your appetites were met. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. When they asked him, well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and then believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Notice the tense of that verb, he gave. We'll come back to that. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives. What's the tense? Present. See, they're looking to God proved himself to our ancestors long ago. And I believe them that they met with God. And that's what I'm hanging my hope on. And he's saying, no, 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 no. God's not past tense. He gave them the bread, but that's not what was going on. He was giving them the bread. Just like right now, God is giving you your bread. Do you see it? Or are you looking in the past? Are you looking for that one time you had with God? But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, dude, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have, not, you have seen me and still you do not believe. I've been with you all this time. I've been revealing myself to you, and I'm no more than an ATM. So you haven't gotten me. we got to do this some more. Okay. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. And I was thinking of many different ways to illustrate this. Because we all get this. You eat food, right? And, and, it, and, it, and it, you need to eat again. You need to eat again. And, and everybody got that point. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, it's separating out nutrition from appetite. Now, all this talk about food has made me hungry, so I brought some snacks. How many people like Doritos. Cool Ranch Doritos, the greatest snack food ever made. Oh, my goodness. Even for non-420 purposes, this is just the best food to tuck into for any reason whatsoever. Oh, mmm, 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 mmm. No. Anyone? Anyone? No, come on, come on, go on. come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. Dig in there. Dig in there. We take some, share with others, share with others. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get killed. We got Doritos on the carpet. Oh, I'm going down. Okay. Easy there, cowgirl. There we go. All right. Here you go, bro. Enjoy. All right. So while you're enjoying those, and I'm going to tell you why that's probably the worst thing you can do right now, let me ask you this question. So we had some food going out. What's going to satisfy you mo- most? You've been, you've been working out. You haven't had stuff in a while. You haven't eaten. You got a little bit of a headache, a little bit of a lull in the day. What's going to totally do it for your body? Do we have, you know, choice number one, Coca-Cola? Choice number two, the best hetch-hetchy water anyone could ever ask for right here, San Francisco Special? Or uh, Gatorade, the, uh, the uh, Florida billion-dollar company designed for the uh, University of Florida football team. So which one's going to satisfy you more? Gatorade. Gatorade. Okay, how many people say Gatorade? How many people Gatorade? How many people say water? How many people say Coke? All right. Okay. Now, when I said satisfy you, what do you think I meant? Do you think I meant it's going to nourish you? It's going to that your body says yes, this is all the stuff I need. How many people think water wins that one? Okay. When when your body says yes, this is what I need. How many people think Coke wins? Uh huh. And when you say this is what my body needs, how many people think Gatorade? Okay, more people Gatorade. We'll, we'll come back to that. Okay, now which one would you want? Okay, we admit it. Water's smart. That's what you're really. You're thirsty. All your body needs is water. Not not rocket science. But which one would you really prefer right now? Would you like Coke? Anyone? It is. Eh, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. Okay. Um. Or Gatorade. Or water. Okay, here's the kicker. Now, all companies realize that what you really need is the same thing, water. And it's basically free. And so each company, these guys are rivals, each company has to come up with a way, you're going to buy our product and you're going to want it more. You're going to need it, you're going to want it. Because if we, we give you something that takes care of all your needs, you're done. You're not coming back. And so if we give you something that lasts for a while and then abruptly disappears, you're going to be back for more. That's good. But if we can make you want our product more than any other product, now we've got a lifetime consumer, consumer, and that's the best thing of all. So how do you think people get you to want Coke over water? Sugar, baby. All right, sugar. So this is just regular water. And so I'm going to add the equivalent amount of sugar as we'd find in this thing of Coke. Okay, we've got sugar. Anyone else here? Two things of sugar. Sugar. No, how many, how many, how many, how many things of sugar do you think I'm going to be putting in here? Eight. Three, four, I'm going to do two at a time here, six, anyone want to drink this? I do. <laughs> I don't drink so bad. All right, so we have our, our, our dancers want all the sugar, um, anyone else? got uh okay we're up to 11 13 15 15 things of sugar okay 16 17 things of sugar And that's not even the same amount of sugar as in th- what's in this bottle. Okay? How many people put sugar in their coffee? How many people put 17 things of sugar in their coffee? What would, hap- what would happen if you put 17 things of sugar in everything you drank? Yeah, not good. Yet they put 19 things of sugar in here. Why? Does it really need to be that sweet? To, meet your, to nourish you, no, it doesn't. But to meet your appetite, yes, it does. Because what happens is when you have sugar, mm, yeah, yeah, releases a little bit of chemicals in your brain, a little bit of dopamine makes you feel good. Pleasure centers activated. That's great. Well, if you have more sugar, it's more pleasure center. The more the pleasure centers get activated, the more you want to keep coming back. This is how we learn, but it's also how addictions happen. It's also how habits happen. It's how superstitions happen. All of these things. The more something gives us what we want, the more we want it. Turkish Delight. Well, what they discovered is by putting so much ridiculous amount of sugar in here, people aren't going to, their palate changes, and you're not going to want anything else. Anything without this much sugar, this sweet, is going to taste boring. And so the soda wars engaged in the early 70s where you're adjusting sugar levels of which one's going to get more following because you have more appetite. Why are Doritos so awesome? Because you can keep eating them. And you can keep eating them and keep eating them. Snack foods were were designed scientifically with one thing in place. We want to come up with a food that's ridiculously cheap to manufacture, that is going to taste so good, and that is going to have no nutritional value where you're going to be hungry in an hour and you're going to want more. And the more we can make it more flavorful than anything you can imagine and make it disappear and metabolized in your body, you're going to keep wanting to come back for more and more and more and more and more. You can track obesity levels, diabetes, all this stuff from the introduction of uh, snack foods into America. It's just it's 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 cause and effect because they stopped saying the nutrition that your body needs and they put the emphasis on your appetite that we can control, that we can market. OK, your appetite is going to determine where you, how you're going to live your life, the actual needs that you have. That's just the actual needs that you have, whether you see them you know, valuable enough to be met or not to be met. And so imagine eating Doritos your whole life. You start eating it. Your appetite's been met, but your nutrition hasn't been. Your appetite's coming back. You're going to meet it again. But your nutrition hasn't been addressed. But your appetite's being met. Your appetite continues to grow and grow and grow where you have to have more. You want more. Suddenly, lifetime drinkers of Coke are going, maybe I can, you know, do they have a sweeter version of this? Maybe a big gulp. Maybe I'll go with with greater portion. And, And so it's just our appetites continue to increase because the main need isn't being addressed with. And this was calculated and deliberate. I'll let you in on a dirty secret on Gatorade. And I love this stuff. This, this, this is my favorite. Delicious. Um, Gatorade is psychological. Yes, there's electrolytes in it. Yes, there's potassium and there's sodium. And you can, you know, this stuff you sweat out and it's good for you. But 90% of the value of this is, occurs in your mouth. When you have the sweet, salty taste in your mouth, it creates a a dopamine effect in your brain, and your brain thinks, man, I'm getting hydrated. I feel so good. I feel good about working out. I feel good about hydrating, and it's awesome. It has no benefit other than the water in it for rehydrating you, okay? So all of this is in the taste because it conditions your brain to say, my appetite is really being met, and, and I'm done. It's a bait and switch. Okay, why did I spend so much time making a mess? Because this is the very lesson that Jesus is spending 60 or John spending 67 verses uh, saying that this is a big one for Jesus. He's saying we have to understand that we have to separate our appetites from our true needs because they're very different. Sometimes they can be the same, but often they are not. And all of us are going to strain for getting our appetites met. And we'll stop there rather than pressing on to having our real needs met. And so this is the backdrop that we have to understand. Don't work for the food that perishes. You came after me not because of intimacy, not because you saw me as God, but because you saw me as being able to meet your appetite. I was the sweeter Coke. I was the more Gatorade Gatorade. I was uh, the uber cool ranch Doritos, and it was good. But guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. Am I just an ATM? Am I just 7-Eleven for you? See, the people said, give us this bread always. God, I'm following you, so I'll figure out how I can always have all of my needs met, all of my wants met. If I do it right, God, if I do it your way, then surely, ultimately, I might need to tweak out some things, but my life is going to go the way I want it to go, right? And so Jesus brings it back to the big picture. I am the bread of life. I am the one who meets your needs. I am the one who is always nourishing you, who is always giving you what you most need. But because you're so focused on your appetites on the next fit, the next completion, you're unable to see all of this. This is what had been going on all along. There is only one name that God told us that he's called all the other names we have in the Bible are names that we make up about God. God is my banner. God is my healer. God is my peace. God is my portion. God is my whatever. Fill in the blank, whatever. And and we make up our own names for God. That's awesome. But there's only one name that God says, yo, this is my name. He says, I am. I am the one who is. Don't try figuring me out. What you need to know is I'm here. I am present. I will always be with you. So when Jesus was walking across the water, revealing himself to them, he said, I am Yahweh is here. Not it is I, but he said, guys, don't be afraid. I am the great. I am who made the waves, who made the storm is here. Don't worry about whether the storm ends or not. All you need to worry about is I'm here. But they couldn't see that. They only saw him as a ghost, as an apparition, because their needs were so great in the scary storm, it wasn't enough even that the I am was there in their life. They had to have their appetites fixed. So they weren't getting the lesson of the bread. They weren't getting the lesson of presence. And so he lays it out to them. And he says, guys, I'm going to keep turning it up because you're not getting it. I don't want you to walk away thinking that following me is a matter of getting most of your needs met and and hoping it cashes out for you. And he's going to go on to say, actually, it's quite the opposite. I am is here do not be afraid. I am your true appetite, your true needs. I am your completion. So we look at what we consume, the stuff that passes away, the stuff that, that our appetites just it expands our appetites, but leaves us no satisfaction. What consumes us? So Jesus goes on to explain the bigger picture. All whom the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will surely accept anyone who comes to me, no matter what, under any circumstances, with the tiniest bit of light. Help me, God. I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves. The great irony here is, what was the context for the bread coming down from heaven in the Old Testament? The people were grumbling because God wasn't meeting their needs, right? And God's going, I am is with you guys. Hasn't I am been enough? Hasn't I am protected you from everything? Hasn't I am met all of your needs? Hasn't I am always been with you and lavish himself upon you and give you a special place? But they were grumbling because they were still hungry. And so in the same context, the great I am is standing before them, revealing himself intimately, and all they can say is... But I don't understand, so it doesn't count. I will raise them up on the last day. It is, oh, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written by the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Okay, now, this is a place where we could really just get lost in the weeds with theology. And and Jesus is pulling back the curtain and he's saying, guys, look, it's not about you. And that's good news. You see, you're disappointed it's not about you and all your appetites. But here's the problem. The flip side of chasing after your appetites is disappointment. You will always fail. You'll always need more. It's never going to be enough. And, and it's the sense of, I, I've got to do this. Um, My management of my own life isn't working. I'm living for my next thing, whatever. Uh, Where's God? And so God pulls back the curtain. And we can go, well, how can this be if that can be? How can I choose God if he's chosen me? All of this. And Jesus is just saying, look. It was never about you in the first place. You guys are all worried about, but I've got to get this and I've got to get this and I've got to collect this and I've got to do this. And now I'm off track and this is my plan and this is my life. And, and we're so worried about grabbing and I need this in my life and my strength. We're completely missing out on God. So God's saying, stop. Let me pull the curtain back. You're not going to screw this up. God loves you. God has saved you. God has come after you. God has fallen in love with you because of who you are from the foundations of the universe. I don't understand this. This is beyond ourselves. And if God loves you and God has saved you and God's come after you, if God's the one that says it is finished, then we don't have to worry about scrambling and grabbing and holding and filling in the blank and trying to fix this and do that. Our ultimate needs have been clearly met in Christ. What is the outworking of that here and now? And so he's saying, guys, stop relying on your own whatever and let help me help you. In a sense, Jesus said this, guys, listen up. You keep hearkening back to your ancestors. You keep hearkening back to Abraham and Moses and all these prophets. Let me tell you this. Your ancestors proved this very well. As long as it's about you, you're not going to find God. As long as you make it about you, you're not going to find God. And so every time going back, but they did this, they did this, they did this. Yeah, they didn't get any further than their appetites. As long as God met their appetites, God was cool. They followed him. As as soon as they were disappointed, God was somehow unfair, unjust, not there, not showing up. They didn't matter anymore. They were fooled. All bets are off. And it's just based on did I get it or did I not get whatever the next thing. And he's saying they missed out. God was offering intimacy. God was offering his very life. God was offering a deeper way of connecting and being. But they couldn't see past themselves. Saying, God draws. How many people were at the Thanksgiving service we had? It's just an awesome, awesome time. And there's a beautiful testimony Chang shared. And and he I He said it in a way, I couldn't say it any better. He was, um, at this time, his life had gone downhill. He was on the street, addicted to crystal meth, left his job, left his friends, family, everything. And he he knew he was hurting. He knew he was addicted beyond his ability to change, and he was scared. And and homeless, and he's on the street, and he's been there for a while, and he's looking up. And he said, God just laid on him. He said, Chang, look up in the sky, what do you see? He says, I see all these stars. He says, how do they stay in place? He says, I have no idea. Well, how do you think they stay in place? You hold them. Exactly. Do you believe that I can hold all the stars in place? He says, yes, I can. Then he said, can you believe something more difficult that I could hold your life in place? And he said, man, I didn't know how he was going to do it. But if I could trust that the one who made the stars and could hold them in place was also good and faithful enough to hold my life in place, I could trust him. And it went from getting the next addiction, the next fix, the next appetite being fixed. And that's the level of humanity. In fact, most of us operate on to a sense of this is what it means to be an image bearer. Where have you been all my life, God? Right here with me. That's how God draws. God's will is that all who behold him and believe will be saved. Verse 40. And so our question is this, is my pursuit of my own needs preventing others from seeing God in me? Is my pursuit of my own needs preventing me from seeing God as he is? Because my appetites are powerful and they're catered to by this world and they're catered to by science and they're catered to by my sinful heart. And it's so easy to get met and it's so easy to control and it fades away and it's nothing. And the real person remains unchanged. And these are the people that Jesus was reaching out to in love. Finally, what will ultimately consume us? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna, miraculous manna, more manna than they could ever need. What's the manna with you? God's taking care of us. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. They ate Doritos and they died. Gatorade, and they died. Coke, and they died. Even water, and they died. But here is the bread, the intimacy, the eternity, life in itself that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This doesn't make sense. Um, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate miracle and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, me, will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Capernaum, if you remember, is where he started his ministry. Rolls open the scroll of Isaiah and says, Today... the scripture has been fulfilled in your, in your presence. The spirit of the Lord is anointed me, is upon me to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Sight to the blind, release to the captives, to bind up the broken hearted. And so it's full circle when he comes back and he says, it is this very presence. Now, there were, the people still weren't getting it. He turned it up again. They still weren't getting it. He turns it up again. So now he says, guys, we're going to have to let go of religious symbolism, let go of categories and understanding. You accept me on my terms or you have no part of me. And so it's going to be this difficult. We're not going to talk about appetites anymore. We're not going to talk about filling, taking Jesus and using him as bondo for my life so it looks really nice. But it's either Jesus is all or Jesus is nothing. So he makes the most scandalizing statement he can possibly think of. You must be cannibals. Okay, Jews, this was like the worst thing you could imagine. It's like, I'm not supposed to eat pork, but I'm going to eat a person. And, and, and God is going to be okay with that. That actually it's time to chow down. Now, all of us Christians, we go, John 6, that's, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about communion. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh, they didn't understand because it was before the resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave victorious. And everyone who believes in Jesus, they believe, and then they take communion. And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? Uh -uh, Not even close. Not even close. Jesus is talking about literally eating himself. Eating himself. Eating his real flesh. (laughs) Drinking his real blood. It wasn't symbolism. He was being that shocking, that scandalizing. Because they they weren't getting the categories. They said we have to ruin the categories. What's the most scandalizing thing you could imagine possibly doing in religion? That's it. And so what you hold on to. Your needs. Your needs. Your status, how other people see you, how you've arrived, how you've done faith, how you do all of this. Your pedigree and how you're engaging God and how you're balancing your life. You've got to just take all that away. Because really what, what is important is the most shocking, scandalous thing possible. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about literal cannibalism. And people saying, Jesus, if this is what you're talking about, I, I just, I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get it. And so he forces the issue. How many, how many, all you cannibals? Join me over here, and everybody who's not willing to actually eat me, go over there. And the people were like, all right, I guess this is all I need, my Gatorade, my Coke, and some sugar, and I'll go over here with my appetites. And over 150 people stopped following Jesus. He had 150 disciples up to that point. And they all stopped following him. They all walked away. He had a growing ministry. He was on all the radio shows. Um, The Tonight Show, Jamie Campbell. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, he's blowing up the airwaves. He was a rising star and he just shot the ministry in the foot. Because everybody left him. This guy is crazy. And so he turns to his disciples. There's only 12 left. The 12 that didn't get the lesson of, of intimacy with the, with the loaves. They only saw the appetite. Yay, Jesus, he met the appetites. He proves he's God. And then he's in the storm. Boo, Jesus, he didn't save me from what scared me. He's not God. And now finally he turns to them when he's taken it all off the table. I'm not going to meet your appetites. I'm not gonna, It's not going to be nice. Um, it's going to be scandalous. I'm going to ask you to do things that are difficult, things that you don't understand, things that you don't like, things that are really going to embarrass you. Am I still God? Am I still intimate? Am I still revealing to you? So when it doesn't go your way, who am I now? And only there are you going to discover me. Because what Jesus is talking about, and he's going to really lay into this in chapter 14 and chapter 15, he's talking about consuming Jesus completely, taking every aspect of Jesus into ourselves. From the opposite side of our appetites and the next thing in completing our old selves it is who we discovering ourselves to be. To believe is to partake, to consume, to be all in. There's no room for a half-hearted, convenient committed, commitment or a commitment that just daisy-changed the next need being met. He died so that we could live. We live by dying to ourselves, by dying to the world. To, we take his life into us only so that we will be happy and we can put off dying. Or do we take his life into us so that it flows to others and we can really, really live? You see, the decision that God had asked all his disciples, who were 150 of them, had to really call it up and say, you know what? Why am I in this for me or am I in this for him? And 150 people said, I, I'm in it for me. That he was meeting my needs and it made sense and he was great. He was my hope. And now he's asking things that are just too much, too scandalous, too embarrassing. It cost me too much, too much, you know, and and he took all the appetites off the table. So the unvarnished God who wasn't here just to meet our needs, but loves us so much, he does anyway. What do we do with him? Because our appetites are only going to increase. They're only going to demand more of us. They're going to demand more of our allegiance. Our appetites are going to overwhelm us so much that we're going to have to use every aspect of our life to manage them and even use the power of God to do so. And this is what the people were doing. But God in his love, even as he loved having the people and the cheering crowds and people hanging on every word, he knew that they were hanging on every word just so they could get the next fix and they'd forget about him. And so he has to say something very harsh and saying, guys, you're going to have to let go of your need. You're going to have to come to me empty handed in a sense. What we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, and I, I like to invite our deacons forward is not John chapter six but what we celebrate are the 12 disciples who in their fear in their ignorance in their not making sense of what Jesus is saying that they were close enough That they'd experienced enough of his grace that they knew his forgiveness. That even though they hadn't learned a lesson of the bread. Even though they hadn't learned a lesson um, on the walking on the water. They knew that Jesus was still coming after them. They knew that Jesus still loved them. They knew that there was something so much deeper going on than them just getting it. And despite their constant failures, they could not deny this one fact. That Jesus was still standing right next to them. Looking at them and saying, how about you? Where are you going to go? And Peter looks up, as all of us have, and says this, where else are we going to go, Lord? Only you have the words of life. And so what we celebrate is because of the finished work of Christ, even though we don't fully understand it, there is a life in itself that goes far beyond our At our appetites. There is a life in itself that God has offered us that is far more beyond the same o, the same o and me just trying to fix together the debris of my life. But I can let go of it and I discover God outside of my appetites. And so there is a freedom to say, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know the end from the beginning, but this much I know and this much right now is enough that you love me, that you are on my side, that you're standing here, that what you have done, you've done for me. And you're looking at me right now and saying, how about you, Bill? How about you, Gordy and Bridget and Isaac? David, how how about any one of us? Do I have the words of life beyond your appetite, beyond the answered prayer, beyond the pain in your life that I haven't taken away because my grace is sufficient, beyond the thing you need in your life that I haven't answered and brought in because my grace is sufficient? Am I enough? And we testify, Father, Lord, as much as we may give ourselves, as much as we may deny ourselves, at the end of this, it's your love. It is your grace. It is your life in us. So as the deacons distribute these, if you're seeking faith, if you're wrestling with God and you want to let this pass, that's absolutely right. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, continuing... Let us reflect in our hearts. Is it a thanksgiving of this is what you have given me, Lord? This is the little I understand and I want more and I am grateful. Or is it a sense of, Lord, this is where I'm fearful that I've burned all the grace that I have. You've met all of the needs and I don't know if I can trust you for the rest. If he with his son freely gave us everything. (laughs) Through his death. How will he not through his life? Be faithful for the rest of the journey. That's what we celebrate with grateful hearts. The gifts of God for the people of God. Please uh, reflect in your hearts as they distribute and we will all partake together.